You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Spring-like conditions almost here in TW11 this morning, this Wednesday, April the 5th. Slightly less clement in the northwest at Aintree, where the track could probably use a shower or two. Such have been the drying conditions over the past few days. Eight days until the Randox Grand National Festival. Later in the programme, Lydia Hislop and I will be discussing the threat posed by animal rebellion and the ripple effect caused by that headline on the front of the mail on Sunday last weekend. We'll be asking how worried should the sport be. Henry Daly can rest easy that his Fortescue is going to be guaranteed a run. He'll be talking about whether the 100-to-1 shot has just as good a chance as he had when he went off about a fifth of that price last year. What else in today's show? Well, we'll be to Australia, to William Haggis, who's enjoying what one local journalist has described as an ashes-like intensity with his Dubai honour taking on the local star Animo in the big race, the Queen Elizabeth, at Randwick this weekend. Neil Graham, the director of racing at Chelmsford City, drops in to tell us how the CCTV has been improved in the aftermath of last week's John Butler hearing, which you heard plenty about on this podcast last Friday with Tom and Rishi. But first of all, worth taking stock of yesterday's independent appeal panel ruling, which restored the popular staying hurdler Dashiell Drasher to second place in the stayers hurdle. The horse was demoted for causing interference to Tupo by the race day stewards. Chris Cook, the senior reporter from the Racing Post, will be along in a moment. But first of all, Lydia, your thoughts on yesterday's verdict? I think we've got to separate sentiment from the even-handed application of the rules. And uh, whilst I was upset on behalf of the connections of Dashiell Drasher, because he's a smashing horse, because they're very nice people, I think the stewards got the result correct on the day. And nothing that I have read since, and um, you're going to um, uh, convey what Chris Cook had to say, nothing we've heard from him since makes me change my mind. I think this has been a misapplication of the rules, in my opinion. All right, let's hear from Chris, because he sat through this hearing yesterday. Sometimes these can be, be quite tortuous, but I think he got away with about three hours. I asked him first how he reflected on the process as a whole and what he thought of the results and the reaction to it. This is a difficult one for me because, I, look, I, I'm obviously wrong. Um, it, I was sat through this with a, a fellow racing post journalist who uh, hoped that the appeal would succeed and thought that it should. Everyone on social media seems to think that justice has been served um, by the appeal winning. Um but I was looking at it and thinking, uh, you know, I'm afraid uh, Dashiell Drescher has interfered with Tiapo um, on the run to the final flight, um, and it must have made enough difference to affect the the placings between them, which was on their nose at the line. Um, but I wasn't particularly uh, won over by the the reasoning offered by the chairman. You know, again, the caveat: he's only offering some brief reasons at the end of the three-hour hearing, um, when all of us are probably more tired than um, Dashiell Drasher was in the closing stages. Um, uh, we'll get their full reasonings, you know, in, in writing in a, a week or two, um, and then all these arguments can begin again. But he, he was, you know, he, he mentioned um, as one factor in his thinking that Tiapa was a tiring horse. 
I mean, you know, he's closing on Dasher Drasher all the way to the line. They're, they're all tiring horses. It just it, it didn't seem like a, a particularly um, relevant thing to be mentioning. Um, and uh, and he, the, the panel also seemed to be won over by a suggestion that um, Flooring Porter moving around on the run to the last was something that caught uh, Tihapo at the corner of his eye um, and caused him to move. And, you know, that was as much of a factor as anything Dashiell Drasher was doing, which, again, I found unconvincing myself. I, I thought David Russell was quite an impressive and convincing witness um, when he talked about Dashiell Drasher carrying him across the track. You know, when he um, wanted to be straight, he thought if he could have been straight on the run to the final hurdle, he'd have won the race. Um, but, uh, again, the, 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 sort of the argument was presented against him that he was the reason he took the last at an angle was he was looking for a better stride. Um uh, and it wasn't actually something that Dasher Drasher had caused. Uh, I, there was an angle of the race from the inside of the course, which I hadn't seen before, which to me shows um, the extent to which De Hapo was was put onto a, quite an uncomfortable stride coming to the last because he was being uh, he was having to approach it at an angle. Um, uh, he's such a sort of neat economical jumper, I think of normally. Um, I think. Uh, had he been allowed to sort of take it on his own terms, it, you know, he'd have been far more effective. Uh, would have got away from the last as, as effectively as Dashiell Drasher. Um, it, it didn't look at all to me like something that Davy Russell would have asked him to do. So, you know, I was—you uh, could have knocked me down with a feather when the, the verdict started to be announced, and it became clear that the appeal was going to win. Um, but everyone else is happy, you know, apart from connections with Chiapo. So um, maybe I've just got this wrong. Uh, yeah, I, I, I realise that people are happy for Jeremy Scott, a very popular trainer and the horse, who's a, who's a very popular horse. The interesting headline in, in your paper today, which was a, a quote, which was, uh, this is good for the soul of the sport. Uh, your yeah. comment piece suggests it's far from good for the soul of the sport, because the soul of the sport surely has to revolve around uh, fair play. Um, yeah, that, that's how I see it um, and interference has been a bugbear for me and, and quite a few other journalists for some time um, you know there's I think there's a creeping feeling that you know other people are joining in that, that we should be doing more on this subject you know one thinks in particular of the Freddie Tlitsky case um, you know that's that's obviously an extreme example but um, I, I think you know you, you can't we, we don't at the moment put quite enough emphasis um, on the importance of of um, Horses keeping straight, you know, if if it's at all possible, and um, avoiding interference and making sure that everybody gets a fair run. Um, so, I mean, uh, you know, um, people will be irritated by mentioning the poor Freddie's case in the context of this. Um, you know, obviously the the two cases are pulls apart, but it's it's you know to me it's still an interference case. Of course, the chairman has now ruled that there was no interference. Jeremy's point is that you know you, to some extent you have to allow the, the cut and thrust of, of race riding um, you know horses are going to be tired at the end of three miles on soft ground in a, a high quality race like the steers hurdle and um, you can't be sort of going into the steward's room and rearranging the placings just because you thought in advance that the Tiapa was the best in the race um, and you know I, I understand that as a source of irritation but um, you know I think on this occasion um, was not allowed a fair run um, because of what a competitor did um, and it, you know it, it did affect the placings um, and 
to me, it's a, you know, it's a pity that it's been changed because of that. It's just, it's one more reason why, um, you know, jockeys who are in front in future races might be thinking to themselves, well, um, if I happen to get in the way of some horse that's coming up behind me, um, that might help my case rather than hinder it. That was Chris Cook, senior reporter from the Racing Post. You can read his thoughts on that on racingpost.com. Lydia is still with me. I think he's pretty much uh, summed up your feelings to the letter, hasn't he? Yes, Nick, I think he has. Um, and I would uh, point to the caveats that uh, Chris has made about uh, we haven't yet had the full uh, reasons from the disciplinary panel. And clearly, Chris has seen an extra angle compared to me of the video evidence, which was primary and usually is primary in making these decisions. But that extra bit of evidence has only made Chris more certain that the stewards on the day in making the demotion got the rules correct. In his piece in the Racing Post, his comment piece has concluded by saying, we'll have fairer races when the BHA decides to crack down on interference and changes its rules to give the benefit of any doubt to victims rather than aggressors. That's when we'll find out for sure how difficult it is for a jockey to keep their mount straight when in the lead. Um, he and I slightly differ here. I don't think you can base a call for um, giving the benefit of the doubt to victims on what I believe to be a misapplication of the rules in this instance. Um, I prefer the rules as they are, which gives the uh, benefit of the doubt to the first past the post. You know, there existed within the rules applied well here to be able to achieve a demotion, which I and Chris, I think, both believe would have been a, a fairer outcome to this. And I think, uh, and I've said this many times before on the, on the podcast, that the uh, answer to this lies more in uh, stewards finding using the um, category of improper more often than they're using the category of careless when looking to encourage jockeys by, a, by the application of penalties to keep their mouth straight. And just a wider observation, I've spoken before, particularly in comparison with the um, IHRB, the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board, and their appeal structure, how that there isn't a, a corridor of air between the race day stewards and their, their um, referrals committee and their appeals board in that um, existing stewards can sit on those latter two panels. That is not allowed under the BHA system. And whilst I think that has a great benefit for matters of, of strict integrity, I think perhaps, I mean, I think that our, the, the disability panel system, the appeals board system, the judicial panel essentially in Britain is very strong in those areas, where I think it, it does on occasion, not always, display some weakness, it is in the area of race reading. And until, and until or unless I see something different in terms of the reasons given, I will put this down as a... Uh, as poor race reading and a misapplication of the rules. All right, I want to alert you. Well, I don't want to alert you, but I do want to alert you to the byline times today. You'll figure out what I mean in a minute. This is what the papers don't say. Uh, the headline is, Disrupting the Grand National is just the start, says Animal Rebellion. This is after the Mail on Sunday expose, byline times claims, led to a surge in support for their cause. Lydia, how worried do we need to be about the momentum that's gathered off the back of a male expose which was purporting to have foiled a plot to disrupt the Grand National through um, direct action. Quite worried, I think. Um, for the Grand National itself, yes, but also for other 
sporting events. And as you said, the the Daily Mail's headline purports to foil it, but um, certainly in terms of Animal Rebellion's perspective and in the Byline Times, their spokesperson, Orla Coughlin, who is one of the people who was arrested for protesting at the Derby last year in 2022 and caused a delay to to that race, people might remember. Um, She is a a London-based activist. She's a spokesperson on behalf of the organisation. She said that the Mail on Sunday story wasn't surprising because the group's training, which the undercover journalist from the Mail on Sunday um, attended did was uh, advertised online very publicly and uh, she felt that she said that she'll be they'll be at the Grand National from 9 30 a.m on the Saturday and that she would encourage everyone who has read the story to join us and meet us at the gates now they're expecting 300 to 500 people we're we're quite used to seeing a protest at the Grand National and the number of um, people attending there has fluctuated but in recent years um, the number of people there has got much smaller like you I think the uh, the outcome of, of all of this publicity and like Animal Rebellion will be to increase the numbers of people who are there and certainly to increase the media focus on on the event um, in terms of what happens from a welfare perspective. Yeah, I, I inquired as to the BHAS whether there was sort of an official line on this from the the sport. I think their feeling is that these are matters for you know, the race course operationally in conjunction with whichever local police force it happens to be, in this case, Merseyside Police. I sort of understand why the authority don't want to sort of engage in a war of words. I, 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 I sort of get that. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I do understand that. However, I mean, Animal Rebellion are talking about needing to have a, a conversation about animals' place in modern society. And, and that is something that will at some point have to be engaged in. You and I have discussed about speciesism in the past and the, the growing uh, view about uh, where animals should sit in, in society. Um, and that is a, a conversation that is being had. And I think that um, those um, organisations, uh, certainly their sporting organizations that you that utilize animals for that can take a strong position in terms of in terms of of how um they utilize animals and their welfare record on it um so i i, I do think it it, it is a, a conversation that will be had but in terms of the actual impact on on uh racing i mean animal rebellion is a direct action group with close links to extinction rebellion just stop oil and insulate britain and they plan to liberate inverted commas, animals in slaughterhouses and farms over the summer and to halt horse racing events. They're also going to be targeting other animal competitions and zoos. Um, If you think about the impact that Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil have had, they it has been quite a, a large amount of disruption they have managed to make their protests seen and heard despite um increased awareness that such protests might happen so i do think there is an element of vulnerability to certain horse racing events and it will rely greatly on the local p- police and that will equal more money so i do think it it, it is of concern and the flip side to, to this concern or a corollary concern is when they're talking about liberating animals. I mean, Orla Cochran is um, quoted as saying uh, that they will be rescuing animals and putting them out of harm's way. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. And I worry about what what 
I mean, I hope that if, if well, they're I'm going sorry, to my, my my mind's going along the same lines. It's actually pretty terrifying, isn't it? It is. Ter- it's it's very terrifying. But also in terms of the actual welfare impact on the animals involved, you know, I I am I am worried about what will happen to them if they are inverted commas liberated and you know um given that uh, my expectation is that they might they might enjoy in on their terms some success bearing in mind that extinction rebellion and just stop oil have achieved some of their ends then i do hope that they have thought through exactly what they mean by rescuing animals and putting them out of harm's way and i hope that they're not putting them into a, into the way of a different kind of harm all right, well, almost guaranteed a run now in the Grand Nationalist Fortescue, trained by Henry Daly. Uh, unseated in the race last year, when well fancied as well, went off quite a short price, uh, but has got very good form round the Aintree fences and looked like another couple of circuits wouldn't wouldn't go amiss back in the autumn. Uh, Henry's with me now. I'm guessing the plan's to run, Henry. Yes, uh, I, I, I think we'll get in as well. I'd be slightly very surprised if we didn't. All systems go. Is there any reason to think that he can he can run a bold race? I, I quite honestly, I wouldn't be aiming him that way if I didn't think he would. I don't see the point in just taking part. I've never been a great believer in that. I think he will hopefully will run a big race and we'll see how we get on. Obviously, but that's that's the plan anyhow. I, he look he did really look in the in the in the beacher that he he could he could really do with another circuit. Did last year's race actually tell us anything conclusive or not? Uh, I think probably that the slightly better ground didn't particularly suit him in it because they just do go a tremendous gallop. It is the national. Um, so therefore, the slower the ground, the better. I don't think it's a particular inconvenience. It's just a question of how the race is run. Okay, so you just need you just need them not to take him off his feet and for him to be able early to sort on. of at least exactly. be in the hunt. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How many other runners do you anticipate having at, uh, at Aintree? Uh, I hope Blinkensop will go there um, in the 12. He could run in the two and a half mile handicap. He could run the two and a half mile novice. Um, Moon Hunter will probably run in the three mile handicap. Um, Bowen's part will probably run in the National Hunt Flat Race on the Saturday. Um, possibly Supreme Gift as well. He could go in the two and a half or three mile handicap hurdles. Okay, and Blenkinsop obviously is the half brother to to Fortescue, and I'm when we spoke earlier in the season, you you suggested that he might be the most naturally talented of the whole lot. Do you still hold to that? I think so. <laughs> Until I saw, I I did a bit of work this morning with a getaway filly, which is a half sister. <laughs> ah, ah, which has not run. So anyhow, we'll see, but time will tell on that front. <laughs> Hello, she worked very well. Excellent. Um, good luck with them all. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you'll remember if you were listening to the podcast last week, last Friday, Tom and Rishi were discussing the case of Superseded, the horse who tested positive for Azaparone in a post-race urine test after finishing last at Chelmsford in March 2020. And there was quite a bit of talk about the quality of the CCTV images because John Butler on this programme and elsewhere had alleged that the horse may have been got at, but that the footage was too grainy to get a, a proper a proper read of that. Uh, Neil Graham has been in touch. Neil is the director of racing at, at Chelmsford uh, Racecourse and is with me now. Neil, what's happened since John Butler's claim and since the case? 
Um, well, as soon as we read about the case in the in the newspaper, we got in touch with the BHA, um, and they couldn't have been more helpful, and they were right on it. Um, it was agreed that the quality of the CCTV pictures probably wasn't as good as it should have been. Um, I must say slightly in, de in defence of Chelmsford, um, we installed the CCTV under uh, you know, according to the BHA regulations, but we have no access to that, those CCTV pictures and the footage, so we weren't aware of the quality of them. But as I said, as soon as we became aware that there was an issue, we contacted the BHA. They have suggested that um, we replace it, and so that is what we are doing. We're replacing it at our own cost, and we were going to do that as soon as possible. So am I right in thinking that it's a condition of your licence as a racecourse, effectively, to install and provide the CCTV infrastructure, and then once you have done that, you effectively hand over the operation of it to the BHA? So they would have access to all the tapes and the pictures and the footage, but you wouldn't? That is correct. It's part of the sort of security regulations surrounding the stables of the race course um yes so as i said we we have no access to the footage that is a bha thing oh, one of the questions that came up was that in the dark and obviously if you're holding a lot of meetings uh in dusk or twilight or under lights that that footage can, can be compromised so would, would an upgrade uh counteract that effect that's probably beyond, beyond my technical <laughs> remit, but certainly we will um, make sure that the, the lighting is adequate. Um, we are getting in some special CCTV consultants to look at this and a firm that deals specifically in this. So I'm sure any extra lighting that's needed to make sure that it is of the you know top class quality, um, we will ensure that that happens. All right, Neil, thanks so much. Appreciate you clearing that up. All right, cheers, no problems. All right, Neil Graham, the director of racing at Chelmsford City. I mean, that's fairly straightforward, Lydia, isn't it? I mean, they're upgrading the CCTV, which they need to on the suggestion of the BHA. I realise that probably the BHA are the only people who can have access to the footage for uh, integrity and data protection reasons, but you've got to know that it's working properly, haven't you? I mean, it's a fairly basic requirement. I do think it is beholden on the BHA to ensure that the footage that they uh, require uh, is up to the level, up to the standard of clearness and also the, the coverage in terms of, you know, how much of the of the, the race course is covered in this way, um, that will be uh, viable when brought to the context in which it, which it will be used, which is in a disciplinary process, you know, a, a legal process, essentially. The evidence, the video evidence, has to be of a good enough quality to be viable there. And if it isn't, well, that, that seems to be a failure of processes. So I think the BHA needs to um, respond to the question of what are its processes in terms of monitoring this footage that it's get that it gets. You know, why wasn't Chelsea City alerted sooner about the problems with its CCTV footage? You know, even even if it was as, as late as when the BHA were gathering evidence here, you know, why was why did it have to come out at panel that the that footage wasn't 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 good enough? And as a result of this ruling, you know, given that it hasn't happened sooner, has the BHA gone over all of its footage from all of its race courses? to make sure that the, the footage it is getting and the amount of footage and the coverage of the footage it's getting, that that is viable. 
All right, then, and before he comes to the UK, possibly for the lock engine, the Queen Anne, Animo has the uh, small matter of trying to get the better of the British train Dubai Honour in the Queen Elizabeth Stakes at Randwick at the weekend. Of course, Dubai Honour is trained by William Haggis, who's on another very successful Australian raid at the moment, which we flagged up on here two or three weeks ago. But you are now, William, safely ensconced uh, in uh, in Sydney, and you've been enjoying the sails, you've been enjoying the atmosphere, and I I'm reading in the Australian press that there's a an ashes-like intensity to this clash between the Australian star and your horse. Is that right? Well, they're, they're sort of building it up a bit, Nick. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, there's enormous press coverage um, from my angle. They seem to have never left me alone since I've been here. But uh, yeah, it's um, this is their big horse, and they're hoping that he he will show that on Saturday. You spent like most of last year in the in the media in the media glare in the UK. You can't escape to Australia and <laughs> and expect to be left alone. I guess. Uh, well, I guess this is the the problem with having nice horses. But yeah, I, I haven't been here for, for uh, since the horses started winning here. So yeah, I guess that was bound to happen. Yeah, we were talking to Jason Richardson on the podcast the other day, and he said the excitement level is just, just huge. It must give you a bit of a kick, actually, to think that, you know, the, that this whole enterprise has contributed to, to really in, increasing the interest in these big races. Yeah, I think, as I said it to someone today, uh, there's a Japanese horse in the race, too. I said, if, if the Japanese and, and our horses had stayed, stayed at home, Animo would be six or seven to one on. And uh, and this has created a bit more interest, and now they've sort of got them equal favourites at the moment. Uh, it, it was actually quite hard. It, a bit like it was with Very Elegant, I suppose, and to a certain extent with Winks to know yeah, how they're going to match up to, to UK-based based horses. On what you've seen of Animo so far, what do you think of him as a sort of genuine international group or grade one horse? Well, he's a, he's a pretty good horse, Nick. He's won nine group ones, seven of them this year. Um, so he's 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 pretty smart. He's beaten everything that's put in put in front of him uh, recently. So uh, you know, I don't take him lightly at all. Uh, I was have to say, I wasn't blown away by his win in the seven and a half furlong race last time. Uh, it was the same day as Dubai Honor, um, and he, you know, but the eighth horse was beaten about two lengths. And his last three furlongs were slower than Dubai Honours. And I think that's what's got them all going. When Dubai Honour won the Ranvet, he, he ran his last three furlongs quicker than the the than Animo did and the Golden Slipper, which was um, uh, not the Golden Slipper. Uh, yes, yeah. some two-year-old race yeah. anyway that was on. So yes, it was the Golden yeah, Slipper on the same day. So... so I think that's why they've got, they've got a bit... They're hyping him off a bit. Here's one for you. The the most ratings organisations have um, Dubai Honours win in the in the Ranvet when beat a, a pretty useful but pretty exposed uh, mare called Montefilia uh, very easily. Have got have got that as a career best performance. Do you think it was a career best performance? It looked like it to me. I, you know, it was on uh, pretty fast ground, which I didn't think he liked. He certainly didn't like it last year in England. Um, and he, all his form as a three-year-old is on soft ground. So, um, but it looked pretty good to me, and it, it, I have to say, caught me by surprise a bit. Okay, so on wetter ground this weekend—that's what Jason was telling us—is it still likely to be wet? Yeah, I think it's a pretty, pretty strange place for weather. This um, uh, it was forecast to be dry today. It tanked it down for about half an hour this morning, um, and the ground is a, is already a heavy ten. 
but it, we had a drying day yesterday and there is a drying day forecast tomorrow but I think that the weather people here are about as accurate as they are at home and um, you know it's it, it's difficult to know I think there's some rain coming Friday they, they tell me it'll be something like a soft seven but it can dry quickly here if it gets the chance um so fingers crossed he can run well how important is it for you to have tom markwind back in back in business oh it's fantastic it's fantastic to have him um he's great he is and, and they love him here and um you know the horse won't get beaten because of who's on who's riding him how are the other little group getting on? I saw protagonist ran ran the other day was beaten seven or eight lengths in in mid div at, at Randwick in the in the Doncaster yeah, Mile. He didn't like the ground and they went they went so slowly. I think when the ground's heavy, they don't really like going very fast. Um, but they went so slowly, he never got a chance. He's actually going to back up in the in the Queen Elizabeth as well because it's his last run, and uh, then he's going to go off to Brisbane and be trained by Chris Lees at Newcastle. So. Uh, he's running with Karen McAvoy aboard, uh, but I think the best we can hope for is is, is getting placed, um, which would be a sensational run. Um, and we're running Purple Pay in a Group 1 race. Um, she's drawn a bit wide in 14, but she loves soft ground and she's going to run in some blinkers. She's woken up a bit um, for her first race, mind if she needed to. And uh, and she's got the blinkers on, which should suit her. But uh, alcohol freeze in the race, drawn two. So I would think if she's anywhere near her best, she will be winning. Yeah, exciting to see how she gets on down there. I saw there were the latest nine grand entries for the for the Derby yesterday. Uh, did you add any to the list that you've already got? We added one, a cloth of stars colt that won the Golden Horn Maiden at Nottingham. He's obviously a lot to find, but uh, he stays well, and he's an nice horse, and the owner's quite keen to have a go if he's, you know, if the next two months goes well. So we'll see how he, how he, how he, how things go for him in the next two months. Okay, he's called Laffy, the the cloth of stars is. horse, isn't he? And I yeah. see the others you've got. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to go through them all, but Desert Hero, Nikki, Medieval, Golden, Unlimited. I mean, at the moment, if if, if somebody said to you, right, who's your Derby horse, who is your clubhouse leader? Who would it be? Well, Desert Hero uh, is still in the race, but you know, he might end up being a King George V sort of horse. Uh, Nakeev is, is probably the one um, because obviously he's a half brother to Baid. And, um, you know, he's uh, apart from Baid, the, the rest stayed really well. So, you know, you never know, but he's got to, he's got to run yet. So I think the Derby's trying a long way for him. Mm. Uh, is he, is he anywhere close to a run? Um, I'd, I'd wanted to go to Newbury, but I don't think he's going to make it. He'll, he'll probably be early May. Excellent. Looking forward to seeing it. William, um, you've given uh, plenty of your time, as always. Thanks so much. Enjoy Australia. It sounds like a wonderful adventure. Thanks very much, Nick. Thank you. All right, that was trainer William Haggis. Um, that's a... That, that, that must be in, exciting to be a part of, I would have thought. Yeah, I think that, sh- that will be fabulous. And uh, increasingly, William Haggis is taking some of his top horses to Australia and campaigning them in this exciting way. And Dubai Honor is, is just the latest and off uh, a career best performance last time. It's going to be the, the, the clash is going to be really, really interesting. Yeah, the wet ground is going gonna, is gonna to probably help him as well. I did think Animo was a horse when I saw him that 
he could definitely hack it in group one races in Europe. I'm not saying he's he's he he can win a Queen Anne or he can win the Lockinch, but I, I definitely think it's worth having a go. And I and I I'm sure he could be at least competitive. It's great. Again, equally, it's great to see. I mean, uh, British horses traveling to Australia and competing. And importantly, we would like Australian horses to come back here and compete as well. And Anima, a nine times Group One winner, winner of the Cox Plate, as you say, surely going to be effective um, over a mile up against the likes of Inspiral. Um, and modern games and real world. So it'll be interesting to to see um, how how they variously measure up. Um, and the Lockinge is a sort of stepping stone to perhaps the Queen Anne or the Prince of Wales's stakes. And clearly we've had uh, Baid who dominated this, this area for a couple of seasons oh, now. Yeah. He is now retired. So it's going to be interesting to see who is going to be uh, mark themselves out as the dominant miler, if there is one this season yeah i mean with real world looking a little bit of a busted flush and modern games bound for keeneland you can see what godolphin are doing here it's a, a neat little international shuffling their australian trained horse coming over to england to win a group one here and their british trained horse going to america to win a grade one over there absolutely and there's valiant prince as well um to to remember um, you know, even though um, last time out in the Jebel Hatter, he he was beaten prior to he, that was lesser form. Prior to that, he'd shown good strong form, albeit at, at great Group Two level over nine furlongs in Dubai. All right, Australia is often held up as the um, racing and betting utopia, uh, but as is so often the case, we are not an island, and in this respect. And the, the, <laughs> the, the issues that the issues that we face are faced by by the Aussies as well, particularly in terms of the of a review of gambling that's that's being undertaken in in Australia at the moment. Yes, and it has some echoes for over here. Um, there's a parliamentary inquiry into gambling in Australia. There's been some calls for evidence. Um, this whole process opened up back in September um, 2022. The public hearings for um, the parliamentary inquiry into online gambling are wrapping up this week. Um, the chief executives of various betting companies have been called to evidence. Interestingly, though, the committee has also heard from some successful gamblers, and I'll, I'll come back to how that can trust with with Britain in a moment but the reason why this came to my attention was on uh, social media yesterday uh, a rather tense toe curling encounter a clip from it was posted online and it was between the chair of the parliamentary inquiry the House of Representatives committee chair Peter Murphy and sports bet CEO Barney Evans, and he's the head of Australia's largest online sports betting company, Sportsbet and Entain, the parent company of Ladbrokes and Coral, among others. And essentially, in this this clip, um, uh, Evans um, repeatedly tried to answer a question of his own rather than the question that Peter Murphy was putting to him. And she was saying um, that she was asking, do betting companies uh, close people, uh, gamblers who win via the clever use of concessions using ma to mathematical advantage the offers that bookmakers are making in order to make profit? And Evans essentially kept sidestepping that question and saying that uh, that 
but, but gamblers would be restricted if they are thought to be or found to be using inside information to distort the market. And they came to something of an impasse. And Murphy was forced to conclude that, uh, she, that the, the gamblers who had testified previously were correct, that if you were mathematically savvy and you did use concessions to your advantage, that you might be closed even if you weren't using inside information or anything that was tilting the market in your favour that was nefarious. Um, and uh, Evans never really answered that at all. Now it was a it was a pleasing line of questioning um, in terms of you know, trying to trying to get to the point. I'd have liked it even more if the idea that um, betters could manage to make money consistently via skill had also been introduced to the argument rather than just using concessions. Uh, but nonetheless, it was interesting. Earlier in the day, Entain Stephen Lang. Um, had um, su suggested that betting on events other than sport horse racing, um, I think it's horse racing and greyhound racing in Australia, horse racing, greyhound racing, there is a um, minimum bet liability. That is, they are required to take everybody's bets up to a certain level. But in other areas, so other types of sports betting, they are not. And Entain Stephen Lang uh, did concede that on other sporting events that uh, successful gamblers might have their stakes limited. So it was getting to the heart of what the whole landscape was. And this is where I think it, don't you, it compares with, with what's actually going on in Britain at the moment. Yeah, we're try trying to understand the, the relationship and the developing relationships between bookmakers and customers as as the as the landscape has changed has surely got to be a, a significant part of it and you you just hope that once the white once the white paper is is out that that is a conversation that can still be had um it's, well, I think it's, it's like all these things we've discussed this about so many things before is like when you when you when you engage in a review of um of, of, of a whole system a whole process that once you once you've released your findings you don't just you don't just park it and leave it it's but it's got to, it's got to be a constantly evolving evolving situation hasn't it agreed and i i as as i've said before though i don't think the white paper will resolve uh, many of the things that uh, the media and betting companies claim it is going to resolve i think it will be the starting gun on further consultation processes headed by the gambling commission um but i i am struck by how uh, relatively narrow the uh, british look on the betting landscape seems to be concentrating as it is on um gambling harms yeah. Now, this is in included in the parliamentary inquiry into gambling in Australia, but they're also interested in people who gamble who aren't uh, who aren't gambling in a harmful manner, who are, are able to do so, A, losing perhaps, but without any harm to themselves, you know, losing what they can afford to lose and seeing it as a form of entertainment. They've put that money aside and, you know, they spend it in this way because it's their money and they get enjoyment out of it, all the way up to people who actually manage to make money through their skill and through uh, yeah through their skill i'm going to i'm going to just just leave it leave it there because that's the that's the that's the element of a gambler that is never really accepted to exist and they obviously do exist you know when they can get on so it it, it strikes me that the british view of this has just been too narrow it hasn't asked um enough uh, questions of of gamblers it hasn't shown enough, enough interest in 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 that that type of gambler as opposed to the whole area of gambling harms and i i think that's a a drawback of what we have seen so far and, it, and necessarily it, it 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 has the risk of becoming one-sided now if you can get a bet on 
how would you advise people to get a bet on today? Well, uh, never <laughs> accuse me of not being even-handed. Um... In, in one of the worst links ever on the <laughs> Well, I'm, 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 I'm going to help you. Um, I, I giveth and I taketh away. Jeremy Scott is running Petticoat Lucy at Wincanter today in the 435. That's the uh, mayor's handicap hurdle. And I fancy Petticoat Lucy for Jeremy Scott. He can have two wins in a week. Let's hope so. Jeremy Scott, of course, the trainer of Dashiell Drasher. It was a good day for him yesterday, albeit a contentious one. Let's hope it's a good day for him this afternoon. For all followers of Lydia Hislop, um, get stuck in if you're able. We are able to be back tomorrow, which we will be. Uh, that was Wednesday, April the 5th. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily. Brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.